That's pretty good having. That was pretty good having Maddie and, and Sandra together, wasn't it? Fantastic. If we want to have our kids go downstairs, Miss Kiki's got some awesome stuff for you today. We should have that more often. If you have your Bibles, if you wanted to turn to Genesis chapter 37, starting with verse 5. How many have been in a pit before? How many know God gets you out of those pits? Amen? And maybe life is pits for you right now. I want you to know it is not the end. And uh, I do believe that life has seasons. I do believe life has situations. And I do believe we have unexpected situations that happen. But we have unexpected miracles, we learned last week. Genesis chapter 37, starting with verse 5. I do want you to know that dreaming is important. I'm a firm believer in dreams. Um, I, I'm like Martin Luther King, say, I have a dream. And uh, thank God for men and women who stand up for dreams. Sometimes dreams you have to fight for, don't you? Genesis 37, verses 5 through 11 says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around me and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while he and his brothers uh, were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Why don't we turn real quick, uh, drop down to verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming in the distance, they recognized him and, the, uh, and when they recognized him in the distance as they approached him, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness, and then he'll die without our lying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph for the return from his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, and they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. And then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of uh, gum, balm, and Aramaic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we have gained by killing our brothers? We have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelite, who were the Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern, and when he discovered that Joseph was missing... He tore his clothes in grief, and then he went back to his brothers and lamented. 
The boy is gone. What will we do now? And then the brothers, then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in it. And they sent the beautiful robe to the father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? And their father recognized it immediately and said, Yes, it's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, there where they sold Joseph to the Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace of the guard. Folks, sometimes we get into our pits, and we didn't plan on getting to those pits. Sometimes it's us that have thrown into that pit. I want you to know Joseph was about 17 when all this was going on. And obviously I think Joseph might have been better at keeping those things to himself. But there was a lot of animosity building up in his family, wasn't there? This was the kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Joseph has obviously been favored by his dad, which is never good to favor your kids, by the way, just so you know. If you've got a multiple kids, it's good to favor them all, isn't it? Let's bless them all. They're all a blessing to the Lord and, and to us. Um, but nevertheless, Joseph uh, the, the, is not liked at all. And I believe this becomes a place for all of us where we've been hurt. If you've been hurt today, you don't have to raise your hand. But I want you to know every one of us has had a point of conflict. And more often than not, our pain has come from relationships. Can I get a hearty amen in there? It's an inward pain. It's an inward struggle. And this is where we have to start developing some inward determination. I want you to know that someone might throw you in that pit, but they don't have to keep you there mentally either. And the Bible tells us that we can put on the mind of Christ and that God gives us tools and everything to follow that. Even in the middle of that pit, in the middle of that horrible moment, that we can have victory. Turn to someone who can say, you have victory. It's a simple principle, but I think it's the most important principle on earth when it comes to our following Christ. This is going to keep the airwaves clean between you and God. This is going to be, uh, keep the airwaves clean between you and man. And ultimately, for yourself. Become one who forgives. If you are an unforgiving Christian today, you will be bound in that pit forever on this earth until you let go of the offense. You will never get out of the pit until you make up your mind to say, I forgive this person. I let go. The brothers did some horrible things, and how many of you know in that moment, you probably wouldn't like your siblings too much if they literally said, I want to kill you, I want you out of my life. The disdain, the jealousy, the hatred, the malice, all growing in this family. Can you imagine the family meetings? Can you imagine the goings and the comings? What Joseph was intertwining with, the mess that was that family. This wasn't just an isolated event. This was building. This was growing. This was something built against Joseph. And they all planned and plotted, except for Reuben, for this young man to die. Some people in your life may have planned and plotted for your demise. Some people in your life might have taken advantage of you. Some people might have slighted you and said things and horrible things. But nevertheless, you forgive. Turn to someone and say, please forgive. 
Make the decision right now that she will be, be a forgiving person and you will let go. Be a person today in your inward determination when you face that pit and say, you know what, I didn't cause the pit. You know, when you're in the pit, it really doesn't matter how you got there anymore, does it? doesn't matter. You're in the pit. And there's no denying it. You can't say, I'm not in a pit, I'm not in a pit, I'm not in a pit. No, you're in a pit, and it stinks. Turns around and say, it stinks. Pits are no fun. You know, I don't want to decorate and put wallpaper in a pit, folks, because I don't plan on staying there. And some of us, we get into pits in life, and we have an inward struggle, and we have unforgiveness, and when we do that, we start decorating, and we say, boy, isn't this pit just great? Isn't this wonderful? You know, folks, a toilet's a toilet, no matter how fancy it gets. It's a fancy toilet, it flushes really fast. Yep, it's a toilet. I mean, come on. We celebrate our pits. As opposed to celebrating the future victory that God has for us. In fact, we start to measure our pit. Boy, this is a deep pit. Oh my, look at that. It's deeper than any pit anybody's ever been in before. You've never been in a pit like this before. Folks, we have all been in the pits. We have all had pitiful situations. We have all had things that we don't want to talk about. We have had situations that we would never admit to even our bestest of bestest of friends. Come on. Let me tell you something about forgiveness, by the way. In our own arrogance, we think we're doing the offender a favor by forgiving. You're not doing that offender a favor. I love what T.D. Jakes writes. He said, forgiveness is a gift to yourself. Forgiveness is a gift to you from God. Christ forgave us, so we forgive each other. It's a beautiful thing because what forgiveness does is it frees it up to you personally, so you're not bound in the context of 20 years ago. So you're not bound in a pit of struggle 10 years ago. So you're not bound in something that happened where someone slighted you. Folks, isn't it crazy how the smallest offenses can really ruin our days? God, forgive us our trespasses and sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Folks, don't you want to have a plan to get out of the pit? Here's the reality you might not have caused it in life to be in the pit. Someone else might have caused it. I won't deny that. People have had experienced pains that I never want to go through. Been victims of things. Things that they never asked for, never dreamed of. I'm not denying that. But now, we've got to start right here. It is what it is. And I don't want to make light of that or anything, but there is a pronouncement of saying, you know what, God, I don't understand it, and I don't want to forgive. You know, there's, the, there's a really gut-level honesty where you say, Lord, I don't want to forgive. I've been there. Have anybody been there? I don't want to forgive this person. I don't want to forgive them. They don't deserve it. Well, folks, but but that's the whole concept of grace. We never deserved it. I I don't 
don't deserve it. I don't deserve forgiveness every day. I don't forget. I don't deserve mercies every day. My, the mercies are new every day for Steve Lack. I get a brand new bank of failure for me today. You know that? We always talk about success. But think about this. You have a brand new bank of failures. You can fail a lot. We're so concerned because we want to be successful and driven and all these kinds of things. But folks, sometimes in the beautiful failures of life, we understand that in our weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. He's not made perfect in your own strength. He's made perfect in your perfect weakness. Joseph had nothing he could do. He was thrown into a dry well of sister. There was nothing Joseph could do. You know, back when I was growing up, we had MacGyver on television. Best thing ever, MacGyver would have come up with something in that cistern. But folks, there comes a point in life where you don't have enough things you can manipulate to get you out of the cistern you're in. You can tweak this and do that and move this and manipulate that person and change this. There is nothing you can do sometimes. And you're in a dry cistern. But thank God for the Rubens in life. Aren't they great? Reuben had to work within the context of the situation, and he bled for that son. He said, or bled for that brother. He said, you know what, let's figure this out. Let's throw him in the cistern. And he knew, hey, I'm going to get that guy out. I'll work around these guys. But nevertheless, God has a plan in all of our life, and that inward determination. Folks, I will tell you that it's solely up to you at that point whether you will get out of that pit. You know, we all know the end from the beginning. <laughs> We all know God's plan and he orchestrated this and that, but how many of you know Joseph still had to make up his mind? He could have, in the, in the context of that pit, and I, this is a two-part thing, so next week we'll talk about the progress of the pit. I want to stay in the pit today. Is that okay? Well, next week get out of it. Today we're just going to stay in the pit, so hold your horses. The story gets better. But become one who is guided by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know sometimes... And this is Pastor Steve talking, so I'm going to get the religion out of us today. How many of you know sometimes the word really doesn't mean too much to you sometimes? You're reading it, and it's like, words out of... Dang. Anybody ever been there? I know. I know the story, Pastor. I know the story of Jacob. I know the story of Joseph. But then all of a sudden we understand that the Holy Spirit is moving and he's speaking. Thomas Kempis wrote this, and I love this, without the inward illumination of the Spirit, even the sacred words of Scripture are not a sufficient guide. Kempis prayed this, Let not Moses nor any of the prophets speak to me, but do thou speak unto me, O Lord God, who dost inspire and enlighten all the prophets. Thou alone without their aid canst perfectly instruct me, they speak most beautifully, but if thou be silent, they inflame not the heart. They give the letter, but thou can only enlighten the understanding. Isn't that pretty amazing? You have the letter of the law. And you know what? The, the, the Pharisees had it. Many religious people have the letter of the law. But folks, it's only the Spirit of Christ and the inward motion of your life that brings illumination to the Word of God. The only thing, if you don't have the Holy Spirit's power in that moment, those words mean nothing. And you can memorize, and you can doctrine it, and you can sit there, and Joseph could have said, now what are the four spiritual laws for me to remember? 
You need the spirit of Christ to awaken it. And it was in that moment. What, what is it that's going to keep Joseph alive? What's going to keep Joseph alive mentally without going crazy in the pit? It's that dream. It's that dream. Joseph has a dream. It wasn't a dream to make him feel good about himself. Folks, God never just speaks to you and gives you a dream to make you feel good about yourself. He, this was about a greater purpose of eternity and the plan of God all the way to Christ. This was a prophetic dream that had implications from generation to generation to generation. And folks, let me broaden the spectrum for you and for my life. Our dream that Christ gives to us personally is not just for our little context to get us out of debt or to fix this little relationship problem. It's in the context of three and four and five generations down. Can you see the bigness of God and the dream of God for your life right now that it's so much bigger than even your present circumstance? It has eternal reward and eternal, eternal circumstance. Joseph, at this point, when he goes into the pit, and this is for you and me, put your name in this, Joseph could only rely upon the eyes of faith and a dream given to him by God that God somehow, some way, would rescue him from this pit. Folks, this is a time to draw from God for your life if you find yourself in a pit, and it's okay if you are. But develop focus. Here's what the enemy is going to try to do. The enemy will try to get your eyes off of him. How many know that happens all the time? You know, we hear about that, getting our eyes off God. It's not so much that you're in rebellion, because we get into that mode, we, we get into the pits, and then we start to go, well, how did this pit happen? What happened here? And we start getting distracted. It's kind of like how we are with life. You know, I've, li- I've read some studies on distractions and how, um, how work goes and how you can be distracted. How many of you know that little cell phone, little beep, can throw you off? Little beep, beep or whatever the noise is in a cell phone, and then all of a sudden you're wondering, what does that beat mean? Is it an email? Is it a text? What's this and all that? Update this and update that. And we get distracted and we get our eyes off of what we need to get done. And, 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 it, and it becomes something debilitating for us. The noises of life. Like a distracted driver. Or one who is constantly married to the news of the day. Or the social buzzes going on in Twitter or Facebook and other social medias. We lose our focus to really even what's important. Our important. <laughs> important, kids. They lose our focus to what's important. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, that whole waiting upon the Lord. And folks, I'm not a, a, so I want you to know that with all the media and everything, I'm not a social media hater and anything, but I will say we're a little bit overloaded on the junk, aren't you? I mean, aren't we just sick of it all? And creating a balance in our life from all the distractions and drawing that inward focus. If you want to get back to the place of spirituality where the words jump off pages and they actually become spirit and they become life to you, you're going to have to be very careful about the mental distractions that you're going through right now. Trigger points, I call them. Whatever they are. They could be external trigger points. They could be things that a thought or a memory or a concept that starts to cloud things. How many of you know that the enemy, he can come and he can start doing stuff up there, but you've got to be the one to fight those thoughts off. I've got to be the one to fight the thoughts off. I can cement myself to them. You can actually marry yourself to thoughts. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 
every thought, not just some of them. And some of those good thoughts could actually keep you from Lord. You've got to make sure you understand that every thought needs to be taken to the captive to the obedience of God. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Joseph in the pit in that moment had to make a determination in his mind. What am I going to fight for and what's this for? He could punch walls. Many of us are punching walls and we're doing this. And there is no way out of that situation by punching those walls. Punching those walls. Tommy Newberry writes, We often allow negative ideas and others' opinions to corrupt our potential for joy. We often allow negative ideas and opinions Others' opinions to corrupt our potentials for joy. How many of you know, even on the social media scene, because we've got to speak relative to the context of where we're at, how many of you know one little opinion or one little thought portrayed on there could just mess you up, can it? Tommy Newberry goes on to write, Time to construct your own firewall and protect the software of your mind. You know, we're in, our, we're in a small business, and with our computer, we deal with firewalls. You know, you've got your computer firewall, and if you're not a computer person, a firewall basically keeps all the malicious stuff from, from coming into your software, your programs, and it's so important for you to have good firewalls for your life that you defend yourself mentally from those things. He said, time to construct your own firewall and protect the software of your mind. You are, and this can be a hard one for some of us to swallow, you get, listen to this, you are where you are at this point in your life because of the dominating thoughts you've allowed to occupy your mind. Your health, your marriage, and all other aspects of your life are colored by the quality of your mental diet. Hmm. You mean we're, we are what we think? Yep. We become what we think. If, if, if all you do is think angry thoughts towards someone, folks, don't think that that's not going to spill over into other people. I was telling someone the other day, you know, that verse of Scripture that says, Be careful that no bitter root judgment comes out defiling many. You know, bitterness defiles many. And Joseph could have taken his medicine, so to speak, and said, These guys deserve the worst of the worst. I hate them. Be careful that that bitterness in your own life doesn't defile many. Be careful that it doesn't start ruining many. Be careful that those thoughts that aren't being taken captive don't start invading your space and start creating all sorts of havoc in your own life. Joseph could allow the thoughts of his brothers to consume him, to overtake him, and ultimately defeat him. I love what Joyce Meyer writes. Anyway, I love Joyce Meyer. Don't withdraw or sulk or isolate yourself from others. Remember, you can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. Many times, God may use others to encourage you in this time. And thank God for others in your life. How many had those, that person that was just right by you or maybe even jumped in that pit with you in that moment of your life? Please don't, when you get into that moment of pit and you're thrown in there, whether you jumped in there, whether you're thrown in there, don't worry about it. Because we start to get religious. Now, Father, was this pit that I'm in right now as a result of my lack of obedience to you, Father? Did I not pray enough last week or fast? Maybe, God, I'm just not good at what I do. Because that's what our religious spirit does. We see people with problems, and the minute 
we see a problem in their life and don't think we don't, we say, oh, what are they doing wrong? Oh, what's going on in their life? Sin's in the camp, brother. Do we have any sinners in the house today? Uh Uh-oh, sin's in the camp. Please don't do this. God loves you with an everlasting love, and God desires for you not to be in that pit. You know, you can start to sit back in your pit and say, well, if I would have done this better or that better, or we start to get into the performances of life, and then we, 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 we flesh back into it in our own selfish pride because we think we can get out of the pit if we do this right spiritually enough or do that right spiritually enough. And then what we do is we get on the spiritual treadmill of life and it becomes another pit that we create for ourselves in the first place. I do ask you to do this. Psalm 55:22 says, "Cast all your burdens on the Lord." Now God didn't say in Psalms there, "Cast all the burdens that were from this person on the Lord and the ones that you created, you handle your own burdens." How many feel that way sometimes? <laughs> you manage your own burdens because they're your problem and they're your fault. But God says this. He says, "Cast all your burdens on the Lord." It's a beautiful thing. Helen Keller writes this, another beautiful thing that we can do in our inward struggle. She says, believe when you are most unhappy that there is something for you to do in the world. You know, for all of us, when we're really unhappy, we isolate and we insulate and we really don't get active. And I want to encourage you today that when you're most unhappy, when you find your most unhappiness moment, unhappiest moment, Find something to do. Find something out there to do. Find somewhere to serve. Find somewhere to get involved. I mean, that's an amazing thing that we can grab onto where you start to serve and that you start to grow and you start to say, listen, I can't change the metrics of my, my well that I'm in right now, but in the middle of this pit, I'm going to find something to do. I don't know what to do, and I don't know what that something is, but folks, find it. Turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. I want us to develop hope, by the way, and we're in that pit. You might not get out of this pit tomorrow. You might not get out of this pit by the end of this message. This pit might last for a little bit of time. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of His returning is drawing. Folks, do you know why we get involved with the church? you know why we do all these things? We try to affirm the Word of God in each other and say... Keep moving, and keep moving. And I will tell you this, and it's pretty much a a stamp that ends up happening. When somebody goes through a struggle, they either dive into church more and the people of God and draw encouragement, or they get away from the church. I've been around ministry long enough to know when troubles happen, when people take a a broad left and say, life stinks, God stinks, I hate God, and I'm out of it. I 
challenge you when those feelings happen, and by the way, and they're real and they're honest, that you just run to God and you say, God, I'm going to tether myself to the promises that you gave me a long time ago, and I'm going to tether myself to this group of people and this body, and I'm going to invest my very life in its qualities. Don't run the other direction because everything in you is going to scream, go fishing for a while, I promise. Or whatever your thing is. But you can receive power in that pit. You know what's crazy? You receive power when you're at your weakest moments. Where did the disciples receive their power? You think about physically in the moment. Jesus had died. They were at the weakest point in the church, weren't they? They lost their leader. And he said, go and wait. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and when he fills you, you'll be sent out. And from that day forward, no matter what the disciples faced or what the church faced in that moment, they were able to push forward and push ahead, even in the middle of persecution. But it wasn't until they were in that upper room, they were hiding, they were lonely, they were scared, which all of us feel all the time. And Christ, in that middle of that circle of them assembling together, and they're praying for power, and they're praying for understanding, God, give us context, what on earth... Do I do? And the Holy Spirit fills them. And I'm going to tell you, when your Holy Spirit filling will happen, it won't be at your highest heights. Now that can happen. Last Sunday I had a great filling of the Holy Spirit back there on my knees on that last song. As the Holy Spirit fell. But I will tell you this, when the Holy Spirit falls, it's going to be in your weakness. It's going to be in your very frank honesty of just saying, God, I I can't do this on my own. I need your help. That's how you receive power in your personal pit. Watchman Nee writes, how can I receive power of the Spirit for service? Must I labor for it? Must I plead with God for it? Must I afflict my soul by fasting and self-denials and merit it? Never! That is not the teaching of Scripture. Think again. How did we receive forgiveness of sins? Paul tells us that it was according to the riches of His grace and that this was freely bestowed on us and us, beloved. We did nothing to merit. We have our redemption through His blood. That is, on the ground of what Christ has done. Do you know how we get out of the pit? It's not on our merits. You won't be able to check off things. I give more, I pray more harder, and I do this forever than everyone else. Folks, we can't live at that standard. We must live on the thing and falling on grace and saying, God, I need your help in everything I do. It's never changed. I love what Watchman Nee says. How did you receive grace when you came to the cross? Because of your merits? Here's the beautiful thing about Christ. Christ didn't at the corners of heaven say, Hey guys, keep it up. You can do it. I don't not, I'm not going down in that mess. Heck no, God. That's a mess down there. Did you see the mess down there that they're creating? I'm not going down there. Christ entered the pit with us. He became human. The hypostatic union. He was fully God. And he became not half man. He became all 
man, the second Adam. And he said, you know what, I'm going to make a way for you. Adam failed, I'm going to make sure that this gets complete, and we're going to go through this thing so you have redemption, so that you can walk by my example, so that you can become like me. He will cause you to overcome. Turn to someone and say, you are an overcomer. You might not have heard that this week at work. You might not have heard it at your home. But you are an overcomer. And if they didn't tell you, let me remind you that you are an overcomer. You failed 26 times last week on the same issue. You're an overcomer. I love what Jesus says. In John 16, 33, you don't have to turn there. He said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The world. Not some of your problems. Not some of the situations. I have overcome it all. And some of us, when we get around people that are having problems, it's almost like we're having funeral services for poor people or even dead. We need to learn to fight for people and fight with people. And, and our weeping and our tears can't be for the lost. We must be energized and say, you know what, these tears are tears of glory because I see you in a different place in life because you've overcome Now is what happens in our life, and this is where me, many Christians are. God, when are you coming back? We don't want the rapture to come because we want to see God. We want the rapture to come because we want to get out of this stupid place. We hate all the people around us. We criticize the pit around us. Don't like this world. Don't like that person. Don't like my neighbor. Don't like this. Well, learn to like them. Come on. Take it an amen there. Learn to like them. And the world in which we live and what we've done is we've created these lines of separation in the church and we have Christian music and Christian industry and Christian entertainment. Do we have Christian jeans yet? Do we have that? We need to think of that. Well, we have Christian t-shirts, but... Bob Brenner wrote in The Roaring Lambs, Why not believe that one day the most critically acclaimed director in Hollywood could be an active Christian layman in his church? Why not hope for the Pulitzer Prize for the investigating reporting going on in a Christian journalist on a staff of a major daily newspaper? Is it too much of a stretch to think that a major exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art could feature the works of an artist on staff at one of our fine Christian colleges? Am I out of my mind to suggest that your son or daughter could be the principal dancer for Joffrey Ballet Company, leading weekly Bible studies for other dancers and what was considered a profession that was morally bankrupt. I want you to open up your minds to the possibility, because when you look at the story of Joseph, Joseph didn't become, per se, a missionary. He didn't become a pastor. He became the one in command of all of Egypt. So when you look at your Johnny, or you look at your Sarah, or when you look at your Chris, whatever, you look at them and say, God, I pray that you fling them to the craziest portions of industry and business, and maybe it is ministry, but maybe they minister in business. 
Because we've always stipulated the sacred and the secular. And when we criticize our pits and the things around us, we can't see progress. And what I want us to see in the middle of our pits, and they might be pitiful situations, I'm not denying it, but see in the middle of your pitiful situation the opportunity for progress. Make your prayer life a little bigger and a little grander. Make it not so much on the microscopic level because, folks, we can go around all of our pits and we can find all the cracks, can't we? We can find all the crevices. We can find all the things. But I want us to get outside of those things because life will never be grand. It will never be big enough as long as we're always microscopically looking at things and saying, oh, there's a little problem there. There's a little problem there. Folks, see the good that God is doing around you. See the amazing value that he's placed in you in the promise. The church has become far too critical and less caring. And less inspirational and less inspiring with our voices and more opinionated about the problems. And I want us to be our voices, voices of concern, our voices of the wonderful things God is doing and what He is about to do and how He is growing in our life. Folks, I want to challenge you in your pit right now. If you don't like your pit, start sweeping the floor of your pit. Clean up the pit. I remember in Bible school, you know, our, we had one teacher go up there. He said, you guys are wanting God to do great things and give you a new car. Take care of the car you got right now. Wash your car, vacuum it out. Oh, I hate my car. Yeah, you can't even sit in it because it smells like a dead mouse. Take care of what you got. Take care of where you're at. Soap doesn't cost a lot of money, folks. Right? In your pit, don't forget that rhymed. In your pit, don't forget to pray through breakthroughs. Pray for breakthroughs. Pray for big things. I want to read you a little story here real quick from Max Cato and Before Amen. Helen Rosevere was a missionary doctor. Remember, this is praying for breakthroughs in your life, in your pit. Was a missionary doctor who spent 20 years in the Congo at a clinic and orphanage. When Helen had been there almost four years, a mother died in labor leaving behind a premature baby and a two-year-old girl. The facility had no incubator, incubator or electricity. Dr. Rosevere's first task was to keep the newborn warm. She sent the midwife to fetch hot water bottle. The nurse returned with bad news. The bottle had burst when she filled it. Even worse, that was the last bottle. Dr. Rosevere instructed the midwife to sleep near the newborn. They would seek a solution the next day. A solution was not easily found. The clinic was in the heart of the jungle. Help was many miles away. The life of the newborn was in jeopardy. Following the noon, doctor mentioned the concern to the children. She told them that their frail baby and sad sister, and they prayed. A 10-year-old girl, thank God for childlike faith, right? A 10-year-old girl named Ruth decided on her own to take the problem to Jesus. Listen to this prayer. Please, God, send us a hot water bottle. Isn't that interesting how we get into our problems? We get convoluted we don't get to the point. Send us a hot water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow. God is the baby, we'll be dead, so please send it this afternoon. And while you're all about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her. The doctor was stunned. 
That prayer could only be answered by the arrival of a parcel from home. After nearly four years at the clinic, she'd never received a single package. Even if one came, who would send a hot water bottle to the equator? Someone did. Later that afternoon, a 21-pound package came delivered to Helen's door. As she called the children, she felt tears in her eyes. Could it be? They pulled off the string and unwrapped the paper, and in the box found bandages, jerseys, raisins, and a brand new hot water bottle. And at the bottom of the box, a doll for the little girl. The box had been shipped five months earlier. The Lord had heard the prayer even before it was offered. That's pretty amazing. I want you to know that in your pit right now, you might not have any logical reasoning to get out of that pit. There's no way I'm getting out of that pit. Yes, there is, because God has a miracle in store for you. You know, it's crazy. We forget the story in our lives that Joseph's answer to getting out of the well was being sold into slavery. That's a whole other thing. But he got out of the pit. That was the first step. Folks, I want you to know in life that when God does things, he does things one step at a time. And if that miracle comes into focus, it's one step at a time. And God does a miracle here, but he does another miracle here. And then we step to that one and that one. And so often we're praying, well, God, well, what about this? I just did this. Do you trust me for the next four steps, please? I'll get you the water bottle. And I won't even give you the desires of your heart. When you pray in your pit, I want you to pray specifically for what it is you need. And you know what you need. I don't know what you need. But pray specifically for those things. But also be open to the understanding that God is an answering God and that you're just not praying to a lifeless thought or memory of who Christ was. You are serving the living Savior who is quick and mighty to save you out of the situation. Sandra, if you wanted to come up here and start playing... I wanted to finish with this little story here. Maybe you've heard the story of a donkey that fell into a pit. His owner thought about it and decided the pit was too deep and the donkey was old and so he would just go and bury him there. He called some friends and some neighbors to help and they began to shovel dirt into the pit. At first the donkey cried out, obviously terrified of the situation. Later his owner noticed that he had gotten quiet and thought he probably already died, but the donkey had not died. When the owner looked up down in the pit, he saw that every time the dirt fell on its back, the donkey would shake it off and step on it, packing it down under his hooves. This continued for hours until finally the donkey had packed the dirt enough to lift himself up and out of the pit. It's a silly little story, but you can either let the people bury you, you can let your circumstances bury you, or you can rise up and say, God, what the devil meant for evil, you will turn to good. What the devil meant to do in harming me, God, this was not from you. These guys wanted to murder me and wanted to kill me, but you didn't let it happen because you trust and you care for me. And what the devil had planned for my life, God has a greater victory. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? God does have a great plan for you. And whether you're believing it or not right now, whether you're listening to me and it's a bunch of hot air and noise to you, it's okay. 
But I want you to cement to the back of your head the possibility that you're getting out of that pit. And maybe the first pit right now for you is the understanding that Christ died a horrible death for you and me. And that He forgives you of everything. And He loves you with an amazingly crazy, not rational kind of love. That even when you were dead in trespasses and sins, even when you were messing up, Christ was saying, there's value there. I made them in my image. I am dying for them because I want to give them life. Today, maybe you don't know Christ. You don't have friendship with Him. He's far off. Maybe you just completely walked away from Him. Whatever the case is, it doesn't matter. Jesus is still right there. And He's gone into that pit with you. He's been through everything you've been through and then some. And He says, today do you trust Me to get you out of the pit? Today, if you don't know Christ and that power to get you out of the pit, I want you to raise your hand with every head bowed and every eye closed. You say, I need to know Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anyone else? Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you, God, that I get out of the pit not because of something I've done, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. I let you into my heart, God. Take over my life. I thank you, God, for forgiving me of all my sins. Washing them away. Today, God, is a new day. Today, God, is a new me. In Jesus' name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The pit's been pretty big for you. Time's passed. Not much has changed. Now you just get to the place where you just accept it the way it is. You just go about your business. Maybe you are into wallpapering walls. Talking it up. And you've lost the idea of the bigness of God to rescue you and to get you out of that pit. You've given up. Today God has a plan for you. Whatever the pit is, however the big the pit is, and however big the fall was, it doesn't matter anymore. God is there. And today you say, you know what, I'm allowing God to speak to me once again. I'm not going to allow these things to bury me, but I'm going to focus my heart, my will, everything in me on Christ once again. Today, if that's you, why don't you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God's working in and through those things. Healing memories, relationships, fears, anxieties, depression. Father God, I speak against right now the spirit of depression. You have no place, no power.
how we're here. Father, for those who raise their hand, pray the vision that you give to them today would be a vision of victory and a hope and a future of a tomorrow. And that we won't have funerals anymore. But there will be a procession and a parade that they will turn from victims into victors. Hold them, heal them. And the gentleness of the moment. Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for healing me, for healing my mind, and even restoring the past. Old waste places in my life, deserts, hopeless places, I used to think. I trust you now, God. But not only my today, but also my tomorrow. I thank you, God, for miracles and breakthroughs. However they come. In Jesus' name. Amen. God is good, folks. And I don't know when or the timing or the elements circumstantially to get us out of the pit. But God is faithful and he'll use everything. I love it. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Next week, guys, it's going to be even better we get out of the pit next week. I encourage you to be here. By the way, those messages and stuff that, that are sent over the internet through the emails and stuff, if you want to get signed up for those to listen to those and grow from those too, um, they're there. Share them with your friends. It's a wonderful thing for us, getting the Word of God out for people. But I love you, and if there's anything specifically that you're needing prayer for, just to pray through, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe there's someone you know here that you want to talk to and pray with. I encourage you before you dart out the door, make sure. And uh, I love you very much, and God bless you really, really good. Really good. Amen.